0: I will open us up with a word of prayer, and we shall begin. Father, we uh, thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to study your word, to worship you, to enjoy fellowship with one another, and just pray that during this time you would focus our hearts and minds, that you would teach us your word, give us understanding, that you'd be glorified this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and open up to 1 Peter. We will be continuing our study of 1 Peter this morning. And 1 Peter, the the verses that we're going to be looking at really um, emphasize the truth that ideas, beliefs have consequences. That uh, ideas and beliefs have consequences. We see it in the world, all around us. People act on what they believe to be true, we see it at the most basic levels, right? Like you have a headache or your back hurts and you think ibuprofen typically helps me out when I have a headache or a back pain. So I'm going to take some ibuprofen. Your, Your belief leads to an action. We see it on the moral level. You see somebody drop their wallet You believe it's the moral right thing to do if you find their wallet to give it to them. You don't go steal money from it, but you believe the right thing to do is to return the wallet with everything still in it, and so that's the action you take. We see it on the religious level as well. A.W. Tozer, one of his famous quotes, what comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, why would he say that? Well, it's because what comes into your mind when you think about God influences every aspect of your life. Your ideas about God, your beliefs about God have a very real impact on every aspect Of your life if you have faith in Jesus Christ and you believe his word you believe his message your life will be changed it's a truth that the Bible presents to us over and over again you look at 2nd Corinthians 2nd Corinthians chapter 6 verse starting in verse 16 or what agreement has the temple of God with idols for we are the temple of the living God just as God said I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, in the fear of God. That's Paul talking. Paul making it very clear that as children of God, our lives will be changed. First John. It, this is really what First John is all about. First John is painting a picture for us of what a believer looks like and what an unbeliever looks like. And it's the test of eternal life. Which person does your life line up with? The picture of a believer or an unbeliever. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies himself just as he is pure. What John is saying and what he says throughout his entire letter of 1 John is that those who have their hope on the eternal kingdom in Jesus Christ, their lives are dramatically altered. Peter, or I'm sorry, Paul, John, James, James is very clear that faith without works is not a real faith. It's not a living faith. It's a dead, useless faith. So Paul, John, James, and then Hebrews, whoever wrote Hebrews, we don't know, but Hebrews chapter 11, go read through it. They call it the hall of fame of faith, right? And it goes through all the Old Testament saints or many of the Old Testament saints and telling us about their faith and in each and every circumstance, the action that their faith led to from, from, um, Abel to Abraham all throughout the list, these people had faith, and because of their faith, their lives were changed and took action. It's the theme that we see throughout Scripture. Faith in Christ. Faith in God. That relationship with God changes your life. Peter joins that chorus this morning. First Peter, the first 12 verses, have been about the glorious salvation that we have been called to. That we have been called by God to fellowship with the Father through the Son according to the foreknowledge of God, that we have been called to the kingdom of God, that we live now as aliens in this world because our citizenship is in God's eternal kingdom And what Peter's going to tell us now is the same thing that all the other authors of scriptures, of scripture tell us that this reality changes your life, that your life cannot be the same as a redeemed child of God. A a few weeks ago in our fundamentals class, we read Romans 12, verses one and two. It's really I love this passage and how it harmonizes with what Peter's going to be telling us this morning. Uh, Again, how the gospel changes our life. You look at Romans, the first 11 chapters is Paul's most thorough explanation of the gospel, the theology of the gospel. He ends chapter 11 with really just breaking into praise over the greatness of this salvation. And then in chapter 12, he immediately flips into the implications of this. That if you are a follower of Christ, if you have accepted this Gospel, he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I want you to know what Paul did there. In response to the Gospel, our minds should be transformed, our thinking should be changed, and our bodies, our existence, our historical selves should be lived out as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to God, mind and body. Because Peter's going to do the exact same thing. Peter's going to reverse the order on us this morning, but Peter is going to say the exact same thing. Because of the reality of the gospel, if you have accepted this for your life, if you have been called to this by God, your mind and your body should be changed. We're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21 this morning, and we're going to look at this in three different parts. Part one, the holiness of mind. Part two, holiness of body. And part three, the basis of our holiness. Holiness of mind, holiness of body, and the basis of our holiness. We're going to start... I'm going to read for us verses 13 to 16 to start. Having talked about the greatness of this calling, the greatness of this gospel in verses 1 to 12, Peter says in verse 13, Therefore, because of the greatness of this calling, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the holy one who has called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You see here where Peter caused us to holiness in our thinking, and then also in our physical day-to-day activities. But those things are very closely intertwined. You're, what we'll see when we get to the body part is that your actions that you live out are driven by what's inside your heart. So we he starts first in part one with the holiness of mind in verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely, on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is all about your thoughts. This is all about your heart. And he tells us three different things. First, he says, prepare your minds for action. Gird up the loins of your mind is the exact translation from Greek to English there. Gird up the loins of your mind. It's giving you this mental picture of an, uh, of a first century Roman soldier who was wearing loose clothing, loose garments, and had to tie those things together to get ready to go into action, to get ready to go into battle so that they wouldn't trip in, over their clothing, get tangled up by their clothing. And what Peter's telling us here is do the same thing with your mind. As Christians, you are called to live actively in serving God's kingdom on this earth as citizens of God's kingdom who still live on this earth, your job is the Great Commission, to to be going out making disciples and, and calling people to obedience to Jesus Christ. Well, you've got to get your mind ready for that. You've got to get your mind ready for action. If you're like me, and the Bible says we're all really in the same boat, our minds are not naturally very girded. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but our minds are not very naturally pulled together, ready for action. Our thoughts tend to be all over the place. Our priorities in life tend to be all over the place. And on top of that, we are constantly bombarded with worldly thinking. We are constantly bombarded with information from the world, philosophies from the world that are not godly that are not biblical, that are not correct. And so because of this, our minds are just not going to naturally be informed of the truths of God, of the things that we need to know to be serving Him. So what I really see Peter saying here when he says prepare your minds for action, it's get your mind informed with the things of God. As Paul would put it in Romans 12, 2, Uh, let your do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can serve God in the way that he's called you to serve. You're going to have to retrain your brain from worldly ways of thinking. You're going to have to pull your thoughts together because by nature, we think like the world. Paul tells us we need to be transformed it takes work it takes effort you cannot be spiritually lazy and think the way that god wants you to think it is going to take a day-to-day battle of you saying you know when i wake up in the morning i'm gonna seek the truth of god how hard how hard you have to try to get worldly ways of thinking put into your mind Do You have to try hard, turn on the TV, turn on the radio, talk to somebody, right? Like the worldly way of thinking just bombards you. You don't make any effort to get that. It takes discipline, effort, intentionality to wake up in the morning and say, you know, I don't want to be conformed to this world. Instead, I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. You don't learn the Bible by osmosis. You learn the Bible by opening it up and putting it into your heart, by meditating on it, choosing to to memorize it. But here's the thing. God promises you That if you will do that, if you will apply yourself to His Word, He will transform you by it. Because if you're a follower of Christ, how did you become a follower of Christ? By the Holy Spirit giving you life. By the Holy Spirit coming inside of you and dwelling within you. You, As Paul puts it, in 1 Corinthians 2.16, if you are a believer of Christ, the mind of Christ dwells within you as the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Christ, Christ's Spirit dwells within you. And so, when you have the mind of Christ within you, and then you open up the Word of Christ, that is where the Holy Spirit transforms you and promises to transform you the high priestly prayer john 17:17 17, 17, jesus prays to the father father sanctify them with your truth your word is the truth again 1st corinthians 2:16 the spirit the mind of christ dwells within you colossians 3:16 let the word of christ dwell in you richly As believers, we have absolutely no excuse for being conformed to this world. We have absolutely no excuse for not rejoicing in and taking advantage of the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and promises if we will open His Word and apply our hearts to it, He will transform us by it. It is the greatest gift that we are so prone to ignore. But what Peter is saying in 1 Peter 13 is, therefore, because of this great election that you've been called to, therefore, because of this, prepare your minds for action. Apply yourself to this this renewal of your mind, because if you've been called by Christ, you've been called to serve him and in order to serve him you have to prepare your mind for action inform it he goes on and I think saying essentially to live out what you know inform yourself inform your mind and then live it out keep sober in spirit Uh, don't be intoxicated with the things of this world don't love the things of this world the philosophies of this world instead Keep sober in spirit. Keep focused on what you know as children of God, the truths that God teaches you, the truths that God transforms you with. Keep focused on it. Don't be intoxicated by the things of this world. We get so easily distracted by the things of this world and our priorities are so quickly put out of line. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. You know, you're preoccupied with food, clothing, clothing, what you're going to wear, what you're going to drink, what you're going to eat. Jesus says, don't worry about those things. Instead, your focus is to be on the Father and His kingdom. Seek His kingdom first, and the Father will take care of all these things. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. I brought up Luke 10 last week, but it came to my mind again. Martha, distracted by so many things, distracted by the dirty dishes and the, the dirt on... Well, I guess they had a lot of dirt on the floors back then, but uh, the, the, the things of this world. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're concerned about so many things that the Son of God is in your presence. Keep sober in spirit. Let your mind be prepared for action. And finally, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Peter there really echoing what Jesus said in Matthew 6. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and don't worry about the things of the world. The Father knows what you need. The Father will take care of you. He's a loving, perfect, righteous Father. As John told us, this hope in God's kingdom is a purifying hope. When your priorities are this world, you're going to live in a worldly manner. When your priorities are the things of this life, you're not going to be living out the, the um, calling that Christ has called you to. The things of this world seem very big when you're focused on it. I love a book that we have out there. Um, when people are big and God is small. That's a great book. you got to pick that thing up. When, pe- when people are big and God is small. When you're focused on the things of this world, you lose perspective. You're not going to be thinking in a sober way. Your priorities are going to be out of line because the things of this world seem so huge when you're focused on them. But when your perspective is centered around Christ and His kingdom, what does that do to the things of this world? It shrinks them down. It puts them in the right perspective. Think of any number of years you could live on this earth. Up against the horizon of eternity? It's a blip. It's a blip if you want to live out the gospel life that Christ has called you to, again, verses 1-12 to in 1 Peter, all about the greatness of our calling, our election as saints to the kingdom of God, and because of these truths, if these truths are real to you, if, if you have faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, your life must be changed. Therefore, prepare your minds for action keep sober in spirit fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ holiness of mind in verse 13 part 2 verses 14 to 16 will move to the holiness of our body the holiness of our body he says as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter and Paul here are right in step with each other. This is exactly what Paul also told us. Our response to the gospel should be in Romans 12, one, Paul said that our response to the gospel should be that our bodies are living sacrifices. Here, Peter calls us in the same way to holiness in our bodies, our actions, Our, our outward actions must reflect the inward reality. Of what has happened in our lives that we have been changed you look at Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 4 verses 1 to 3 are all about how you were enemies of God you were spiritually dead but God in his love has made you alive your life has been changed your life has been altered and when Paul in Romans 12, 1 talks about our, our bodies as living sacrifices, that means every aspect of our existence has now been set apart for the purpose of serving God. Is there such thing as a partial sacrifice? That doesn't even make sense. There is no thing, such thing as a partial sacrifice. You look at the Old Testament system, They didn't wound a goat. They didn't injure a goat as part of the sacrifice. No, they killed it. It was 100%. There's no half-dead sacrifice. It's full. And that's the picture of the our lives that have now been sanctified, made holy, set apart for the purpose of serving God. It's 100%. That means that your work, your relationships, your marriage, your parenting, your school, any aspect of your existence is now called to not be conformed, as Peter puts it, to lusts that were ours in our ignorance, but they're called to holiness, to being set apart for the purpose of worshiping and serving God. And this holiness, that's what holiness is about, is being separate, being set apart. Remember what we read from 2 Corinthians at the beginning when God called the nation of Israel, he called them out from the other nations to be separate, set apart as his people. That's what holiness is. So holiness from the very beginning, Peter here in verse 16 quotes Leviticus 19.2. When God called his people, and in Leviticus, he's given them his law, he says, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Does Jesus lower this standard in any way? Absolutely not. Instead, Jesus reinforces this. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 48, Jesus tells them, you are to be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Do the apostles lower the standard any? Absolutely not. Peter here reinforces it once again. So we go prophets to Jesus to the apostles. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's our call. Our call is to follow Christ in holiness. His perfection, His holiness, is still the standard now do we fall short of that yes we absolutely fall short of that every minute of every day and that's where the gospel comes in that that's where we recognize the we're we're drawn again to the greatness of the first 12 verses of first peter the greatness of the salvation that we have, of the forgiveness that we have because we see the standard is holiness and we see that we fall short of it every single moment and we rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ came and died so that we could be forgiven of this sinfulness. But that doesn't change the standard. That doesn't change our aim. That doesn't make us aim any lower. The, the, we still strive for the holiness, the righteousness that God has called us to as His children. And we rejoice in the fact that we've been forgiven of our shortcomings. And we rejoice in the fact that when He returns, we will be made holy. The struggle with sin, the struggle that we face every day with falling short of the standard, we won't bear that struggle forever. When we walk, on the new earth, we will rejoice in no longer falling short of this standard. The standard is holiness. And our lives now as followers of Christ should reflect, should bear fruit to what has changed inside of us. I'm going to read a few passages for you here Mark 7 you can flip if you want or just listen either way but um Mark 7 20 to 23 Jesus here's talking about how our our lives should reflect the inward reality of the change that God has made in us. Jesus says, That which proceeds out of man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed out of the heart of man, from within man. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Paul says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. The New Testament is so clear to us that the gospel changes your life. That this idea that many people have that you simply have to say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I I trust him for the forgiveness of my sins. And then you can go and live just any way you want. No, that's 100 percent foreign to anything the new testament says about the gospel the new testament says that faith in christ is accompanied by repentance and that with this repentance comes a changed life and a fruitful life with fruits of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness not the fruits of a dead life first john this is really the whole premise of the full letter of 1st John that a life renewed by Jesus Christ is a changed life and once again like I mentioned earlier you'll learn that the theme of 1st John is the test for eternal life because what he does is he gives us a picture here's what a believer looks like and here's what an unbeliever looks like now which one are you 1st John 5 3 and 4 He says, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If you have faith in Christ, his commandments are not burdensome. It's the spirit within you that produces this yearning for holiness and obedience. What's burdensome to you is your sin. And because of that, you rejoice in the gospel. You rejoice in the salvation and the forgiveness you have for this sin. And you rejoice in the fact that one day that burden will be lifted. Peter calls us in verses 13 through 16, because of the gospel, because of this election, that he's been talking about. Be holy in your mind, be holy in your body. And those two things go hand in hand. And then in verses 17 to 21, he gives us the basis for our holiness. The basis for our holiness. He says, If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, this passage, there's so much, so much theology in there. And if Dusty was teaching through 1 Peter, you know he would probably spend like a month and a half on those verses right there because there's just so much you can untangle, so much you can pull out about our Father, about Jesus Christ, about the Trinity's role in our salvation, but here this morning, as we're looking at the this full passage, verses 13 to 21, what Peter is doing here is telling us that the basis for this holiness that we've been called to is this inestimable value that we have been purchased with. In Jesus Christ verse 17 is really a linking verse here making sure that we link this command for holiness in verses 13 to 14 with the basis of our holiness the redemption we have in Jesus Christ that if we address God as our father we should live this holy life because of what we have been redeemed through to our Father. Uh, the, the focus on 18 to 21 here is just really our redemption, that we are owned by God. Through the redemption that we have in Christ, God owns us. We are his slave. Did you know everybody is a slave? Everybody. Everybody. Everybody is either a slave to sin, or they're a slave to God. There's no two. uh, There's no other options. Uh, You look at Romans chapter six. In Romans chapter six, starting in verse twelve, Paul says, "Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts." And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. But then, shall we... Sin, because we are not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart To that form of teaching to which you were committed and have been free, having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. There's only two options as human beings. You can be a slave to sin leading to death, or you can be a slave to God, to righteousness leading to salvation if you're in christ before you became a slave to god you were a slave to sin but you have been redeemed with something that is infinitely valuable and infinitely powerful peter tells us in first peter chapter one that we have been redeemed not with silver or gold There's nothing more valuable throughout the course of human history than silver or gold. Can you name one thing throughout the course of human history that has been more, I don't know how long Bitcoin will last, but gold, I mean, you go thousands of years back. Like if we're talking about humanity, silver or gold, that's where it's at. What Peter is saying here is you think of the absolute most valuable thing you can think of. Let your mind roam free. And what you have been purchased by is much, much more valuable. You have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. Lamb unblemished and spotless that's the power through which you have been purchased that's the power that holds you securely in jesus christ and aren't you so grateful that with all the uncertainty of this world all the uncertainty you have to wrestle with that your redemption is guaranteed There's nothing more powerful that God could have purchased you with. Now that you have been purchased, remember who you are owned by. You are no longer slaves to sin. You are no longer slaves to this world. Slaves to yourself. You are slaves to God. Your faith, I love how he ends here, so that your faith and your hope are in God. When you step back and you look at the big picture of your salvation and your redemption, you just take into consideration what all of Peter has told us so far. You realize that from beginning to end, your salvation is a work of God. From beginning to end, you were called and elected, chosen, before time, by God. And yet, this redemption that He had planned for you was purchased through His one and only Son, through the God-man, Jesus Christ, 100% man, yet 100% God. And then when it came time for you to be born again and ushered into spiritual life, it was by the Spirit of God and when you are finally perfected and glorified for eternity it'll be when Jesus Christ again the Son of God returns there is no place for you to glorify yourself there's no place for the glory of man in this salvation your faith and your hope are in God and All glory goes to Him. If you believe these things to be true, your life must be changed. I grew up being taught that your life didn't have to change and that you could call yourself a Christian and as long as you called yourself a Christian, you were a Christian, whether you live like it or not. I was always so confused, though, when I'd open up the Bible as a teenager and read through it, I'd be so confused because I'd read Jesus and Paul and Peter and think, you know, these guys, they really talk with certainty (laughs) about your life being changed. How can that be so? Like, why am I being taught in one place that at church that, you know, your life doesn't have to be changed. You can go do whatever you want. But then when I open up the Word of God, it seems to say something very different. I was so confused. And then I, I graduated high school, moved off, and started going to another church just on my own. And somebody introduced me to the sovereignty of God in my salvation. I was a believer. I just never, I mean, you know, when you're even as a believer, if you're constantly taught bad things you're going to probably not be thinking right. And when somebody introduced me to the sovereignty of God and the power at work and our salvation and our sanctification, it instantly all made sense. I was like, that is why Paul could tell the Philippians that I am confident that he who began a good work in you will complete it. It's not because Paul was so confident in the Philippians he was confident in the holy spirit who saved the philippians and dwelt the whole the philippians and promised to perform this work of sanctification in their lives the bible is clear if you are a child of god your life will be changed as verse 13 told us your heart your mind will be changed but this interchange has a very real outflow in your day-to-day life and actions how do we apply these truths first of all examine your life go read through first John and see the picture that first John paints for us of a believer and the picture he paints of an unbeliever and examine your life up against that test has your life been changed by the gospel? Have these truths, what Peter's been talking about in verses 1 through 12, have, have these truths been eternalized, internalized, and, and change, have they changed your life so that your life now produces not the fruits of the flesh, but the fruits of the spirit? No fruit in your life is a very concerning thing because it very well may mean that there's no spirit in your life, that you are still dead in your sins, and that you have not experienced the new birth that comes through Jesus Christ. Examine your life. For those of us that are in Christ, this point of application would be Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Uh, it, Paul was confident in the Philippians. Paul was um, confident that God who had began a good work in them would finish it. But Paul told the Philippians, work out your salvation. He says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's to say with everything that you have, with every, with just every bit of your being, work out your salvation. He doesn't say work for your salvation. This isn't like work to obtain your salvation, but this is the salvation that you already have. Work that out. Live that out. Walk daily in it with fear and trembling, with every bit of your soul, with every bit of your being, yet with full reliance upon God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This pursuit of holiness, it takes every bit of our effort, 100% of our effort, but with 100% reliance upon god only god can give the victory it it is is the spirit alone that can carry out this work of salvation your job is to surrender completely to the holy spirit's work in your life apply yourself to the holy spirit's work in your life and it starts in the mind it starts in committing yourself to the word of Christ, to Colossians 3.16, letting the word of Christ dwell richly within you. That's where it starts. You cannot grow spiritually if you are not disciplined in taking in his word. You can't. It's impossible. You're going to get bombarded nonstop every single day with worldly ways of thinking. That is a guarantee. You're always going to have plenty of thinking from the world the only way you're going to get godly way of think, the godly way of thinking is by committing yourself daily to taking in His Word. Reading the Bible, memorizing it, meditating on it, faithfully being a part of the church where you are taught the Word of God and also given the opportunity To live it out. You live it out every day in every single way. But the church is a foundational base from which we live out the Great Commission. We've been called to do it together. As North Lake Bible Church, we've been called to make disciples. It is all part of our pursuit of holiness. But this pursuit of holiness... This living out of the life that God has called us to, it is all the natural result of faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we've been called to, nothing less. The standard for God's people has been holiness from the beginning, and it'll be holiness to the end. We're going to fall short all the time, constantly, even in our best efforts. We're going to fall short. So we rejoice in the fact that we've been forgiven for those shortcomings. We rejoice in the fact that one day we will not fall short. But for now, we commit ourselves to the work that God has called us to, pursuing holiness. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the clarity of the calling. We thank you that with as complicated as life tends to be, you have made your purposes for us, very clear. It's to pursue holiness, to pursue this sanctification, to pursue obedience to You. And we thank You that You've given us every tool we need for that pursuit. That, Holy Spirit, You dwell within us, that You've given us Your Word, that You teach it to us. You've given us the gift of the church where we can um, encourage one another in this pursuit and live out this pursuit together, worshiping You. And I just pray that you would constantly impress upon our hearts and our minds the the desire to pursue what you've called us to. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.